morning, as we continue through our sermon series in the book of Romans, we are in Romans chapter 14, verses 13 to 23. Now, if I were to, uh, as I was preparing this sermon, I realized the title I had picked probably really didn't fit exactly what Paul was getting at that you have printed in your bulletin there. And that's because I think of the sermon titles way before I prepare the sermons as I'm trying to plan a series out. If I were to retitle it, I would probably call this Love and Liberty, although freedom of faith certainly works too. As you can see, though, I'm not great with sermon titles. So, <laughs> But Romans 14, verses 13 through 23. Let's hear God's word. Therefore, writes the Apostle Paul, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts... It's condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we ask now that your spirit would come and attend to the proclamation of your word. That you would, in those hearts that have no faith, produce it, give birth to it. Make them alive by the power of your spirit, speaking your truth into them, convicting them of their sin and unrighteousness, and drawing them to the grace and mercy of Christ who saves. And for those who know you, your people who are amongst your elect, who have been numbered in your kingdom, I ask that you would strengthen their faith, that you would build them up, that you would encourage them, that you would help them to see once again the face of Jesus Christ and the peace that is theirs as they rest in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to go back a little bit because it's been a week since we've been here in Romans, since I was gone last week, taking my son down to uh, Bellhaven and start his freshman year in uh, Mississippi. But boy, is it hot down there. Uh, that's all I'll say about that. But uh, I want to refresh a little bit of where we are here in Romans. So a couple of weeks ago, as we jumped into the first half of Romans 14, we saw what it means to be a truly welcoming church. And that is that we must receive one another 
as we have been received by God, and that is graciously. Paul introduced to us that there are two kinds of Christians in the church. One group, he says, are strong in their faith, and there is another group who are weak in the faith. The strong understand the liberty of God's grace in the gospel that belongs to everyone who fully rests in Jesus alone. And they know that it is Christ that makes them right and accepted before God. The weak, while they do believe in Jesus as their Savior, still struggle in their faith. And they struggle, he says, because they believe that to be a truly spiritual Christian, then one must do certain things and refrain from other things and observe certain days. They must practice what they perceive to be the commandments of God, but are actually the commandments of men. They are weak because they have not yet seen fully how Jesus frees them from the ascetic practices of our hearts by granting us true liberty in grace. And in the church at Rome, there was a conflict between these two groups, between the strong and the weak, over matters that were not matters of great importance, or spiritual importance. They were not squabbling over true doctrine or true morality as laid down for us in the scriptures. Rather, they were bickering over matters of preference and opinion and doubtful things. The weak were judging the strong as being less than spiritual, less Christian, because the strong would enjoy all manner of food and drink and they wouldn't observe certain ceremonial days. And the strong treated the weak with contempt because they had not yet come to the full realization of the grace of the gospel and what it truly means for all of life. And so Paul tackles that conflict by exhorting them both to welcome each other as God has welcomed them in grace. And he exhorts them not to engage in these petty conflicts over preferences and opinions that have no spiritual value. Instead, they're to show each other the grace of God that God has shown them in Christ. That's what a welcoming church is all about. Well, as we come to our text this morning, we see another type, another truth regarding the type of church we need to be. We must be a welcoming church here, but we must also be a church that builds each other up. We're not only a wel- to be a welcoming church, but a church where both the strong in faith and the weak in faith build one another up for the glory of God and the growth of his kingdom. And the way we do that is through our love and our liberty, which flow from our mutual faith in Jesus Christ. We love as Christ loved by serving one another, and we live in the liberty God gives us in Christ, not causing each other to stumble. You see, the big idea of this text is simply this. It is that God has made us free in Jesus, but you must be careful not to use that freedom at the expense of love. Rather, enjoy God's grace by walking in faith. And when we do that, we will build up the church 
to be a beautiful cathedral of people, both young and old, men and women and children, strong and weak, joined together to enjoy the righteousness and the peace and the joy that is ours in the Holy Spirit for which we were designed. And so the very first thing we see then in this text as we think about it is this, is that we are to build each other up through determined love and responsible liberty. We build each other, we strengthen each other, encourage one another through determined love and responsible liberty. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. He says, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So Paul gives us two ways here that we can demonstrate the love of Christ to each other in the church. And the first is simply this. Do not judge each other. We saw earlier in Romans 14 that Paul is not, again, he is not speaking of matters that do need to be judged. Doctrine, godly morals, the truth of God's word. You see, when it comes to our orthodoxy, that is right belief, and our orthopraxy, that is right living in the light of right belief, those things need to be explained and defended and proclaimed and upheld, and those who are in error called to come back to the light of the truth so that they might be fully conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul says here, let us not pass judgment on one another regarding our preferences, regarding doubtful things, regarding our opinions on lesser matters. Now, judgment in the context of Romans 14, it speaks to the idea of calling another person into conformity to my standard. And we saw this earlier in regards to those who Paul describes as weak in the faith. They demanded conformity to what they thought made a person a more godly believer, a more godly disciple of Jesus. And in the Roman church, that was the abstinence from certain foods and the observance of certain days. Well, here in Romans 13, Paul now speaks to those who are strong in the faith. Now remember, the strong in the faith, as Paul has shown more than once, actually have the right view, the right theological view and understanding regarding our Christian liberty, regarding what we can do and eat and drink, how we can live in this world under the grace of the gospel. Christians have great liberty in Jesus who has freed them from the guilt of sin, the, the condemning wrath of God, the curse of the moral law, and the yoke of the ceremonial law. So you don't need to conform to certain dietary restrictions or the observance of particular feast days. It's not necessary, and it does not make one a more devoted follower of Jesus. But just as the weaker brothers earlier in Romans 14 were to not judge their stronger brothers and so bind their conscience to these things they thought were important, so now the stronger must understand that they can never use their Christian liberty to force those who are weak to conform to their point of view. You cannot drag those who are weaker in faith 
along to a better understanding of the gospel. It is not possible. You see, sanctification, that is simply means the growing to be more and more like Christ. It is the work of God upon a person. And because it is God's work upon a person, you can't make that happen. You can't force it. It takes time. It's a long journey in the same upward direction to the glory and the holiness of God. And it is a journey that doesn't end until a believer sees Christ face to face. So Paul says, demonstrate, especially you who are strong in faith and understand what it means to be free in Christ. Demonstrate love by not judging those who are weaker in the faith over matters of little importance. Secondly, he says, determine to never allow your liberty to bring harm to another's faith. Paul uses a metaphor to explain this. He says, determine in your mind never to set a stumbling block or hindrance before your brethren. Now, what is a stumbling block? Well, I think we know what it is. Literally, it's something thrown in the path of another that causes them to trip and to fall. And a key idea of that stumbling block here is that it's placed there with deliberate intent. In fact, we get a very real-world picture of this kind of stumbling block in Leviticus 19.14. Leviticus 19 uh, is a series of God's laws given to his people through his servant Moses about how they were to live in his kingdom. And many of these laws had to do with how they treated their neighbors, how they loved their neighbors as themselves. And so we come to Leviticus 19.14, and this is what God says. He says, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. So what's the command? Well, don't curse the deaf. Why? Because he can't hear you. He's vulnerable. That is cruel. And the law says, do not put a stumbling block in front of a blind person. Why? Because he can't see it. He'll trip, he'll fall, it'll bring him harm. And to do that deliberately is the height of evil and malice. It's cruel. I mean, here you have somebody who is physically weakened by a disability they cannot see, and you put a stumbling block before them so that they fall and hurt themselves? No, says the Lord. That is cruel. It's sin. It is not loving. Don't do it. And so a stumbling block, then, is something that causes another to trip and fall and bring them harm. Now let's bring that back into the context of what was happening in the church at Rome. As we noted earlier, there were those uh, that were weak in the faith who thought that you needed to refrain from eating or drinking certain things like meat and wine, and that would make you a more spiritual person. And one who was strong in the faith understood that, no, that does not make you more spiritual. You are free to partake as uh, your conscience allows. A stumbling block there in Rome would have been with one of these stronger brothers says, you know what, I'm going to have the weaker brother over to my home for a meal, and I am going to serve him these foods and drinks that he does not believe we should be partaking so that he can see that this is what we should partake. 
In other words, he's trying to drag him along to a better understanding of the gospel. Now, it is right to have a desire to see your brothers and sisters that have a right desire of the gospel. But again, it is a cruel thing to try to force them to that. You have to rely on the work of God in their hearts. And so Paul says, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. That's strong language. He says it again in verse 20. He says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. What he's doing is he's appealing to the reality of Jesus' love for the weak brother, the weak believer, whom he has made part of his church. And he's appealing to the truth that the death of Christ and his resurrection is the tie that binds believers, both weak and strong, together. And so he's saying, don't rip that apart through your irresponsibility. Why, for the sake of temporal pleasures, would you injure the souls of your brothers? That's a stumbling block. It's a situation where if I engage in what I am free to do in Christ, but is thought to be sinful by uh, a weaker brother or sister, and they feel out of fear or compulsion that they must partake, in what they believe to be a transgression, well, then I have not shown them love. And they will leave that situation with guilt and sorrow and hurt. They will question the truth of the gospel and the grace of God at work in their lives and in the church. It'll sow division. And so if I share a meal then, with brothers and sisters who struggle with something like alcohol, I should not deliberately serve them wine with dinner and so injure their faith, causing them to sin. Even though the drinking of that wine is not a sin in itself, but it is to them in their mind. And so refraining in that situation is the path of love, says Paul. If we were not to love by judging on lesser matters, opinions, and preferences, by determining to not deliberately harm those of weaker faith. That's the commandment we're given here for the good of the church to build it up. But it's a commandment that leaves us with a problem, doesn't it? And that problem is the second thing we need to think about when we think about this text. And that problem is this, well, what about my liberty in Christ? Does it even matter? I mean, if there are going to be those who are going to be offended by what I do, does it even matter that I have this liberty? Where is my liberty anyhow? Well, Paul says, you have liberty, and it matters an awful lot. And even the Apostle Paul affirmed that in Christ, you have a great liberty that you ought to enjoy. He says in verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. And in verse 20, he says, everything is indeed is clean. So Paul is placing himself into the category of those who are strong in faith, who understand what liberty in Christ means. 
that everything is clean. It is not defiled. You can enjoy God's good gifts. And he is refuting with these words mere prohibitionism, which blames outside things, what we eat and drink, as evil in and of themselves, and thus defiling ourselves. So he says, you have great liberty in Christ. Enjoy it. But what about the weaker brother and sister that will be offended if I do? Am I simply not then to enjoy this liberty? Must I live under the conscience of my weaker brothers and sisters and always refrain from enjoying those things God has given me in this life? And the answer is an emphatic no. That's not what Paul is saying in this text. That would be tyranny. It would be the tyranny of the weaker brother, lording over those who are strong in the faith, binding their consciences, and putting themselves in the very place of God, who alone is the Lord of the conscience. You see, you can enjoy your liberty. Paul wants you to do that. But he also wants you to show love for your weaker brothers and sisters. And to do that, we need great wisdom. We need the wisdom of heaven. We need to be able to discern how and when we are to exercise our Christian liberty and when we are not to. And to see that, we need to look no further to the example than the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we do this through the grace of the gospel. Jesus left for us the perfect example of how those who are strong in the faith, can strengthen and build up those who are weak and thus serve Christ and his kingdom for the glory of God. Jesus laid aside his liberty so that he might show us his love. Christ is at the very heart of Paul's instructions here. You see him all through it. That's why he says, I'm, I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus, verse 14. He mentions the death of Christ in verse 15. In verse 18, he speaks of serving Christ. Paul is deeply concerned that King Jesus gets the praise and the glory that he so deserves as he builds his kingdom here on earth through his church. And he understands that it takes sacrifice if one is to abstain or refrain from enjoying the liberty that they have. And boy, do we struggle with that, don't we? We don't like to give up even for a moment our own freedom for the sake of others. But Jesus did not struggle with it, thanks be to God. Jesus gave himself up so that he might serve. As Philippians 2 say, he, that is Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And he did that for you. He went to the cross in the ultimate act of sacrifice, gave himself up in the ultimate act of love so that you can be forgiven of all your sins in the ultimate act of redemption. But in doing that, Jesus didn't stop being who he was. He still had divine liberty. 
He had sovereign authority over all the earth. He was still 100% God. He was still the creator of all things. And yet he laid aside, he refrained himself for a time, that freedom, that power, so that he might become a servant of sinners like you and I who took the cup of God's wrath and drank it down even though he did not deserve it. And he chose that in that time and in that moment to show us his love. And by doing that, he opened the door to his kingdom, a kingdom not of temporal things, says Paul, or insignificant things, things that pass away like food or drink, He says in verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I love what Calvin had to say on that verse. He says, wherever then there is righteousness and peace and spiritual joy, there the kingdom of God is complete in all its parts, and it does not consist of material things. Righteousness, peace, joy. Those are the things that matter. They are the eternal, the secure joy that is ours in Christ. Righteousness because it means we are in a right standing with God, a right relationship with Him. And from that flows peace because when only one one is right with God, do they have true peace? And from that peace comes real joy through the Holy Spirit, an everlasting joy that rises above the cares and trials and tribulations of this present world. It's the joy of knowing that one is eternally beloved by Christ, the ultimate servant who gave himself up for us. And so the kingdom, then, the kingdom of God, is all about this good news of Jesus Christ, and it is that kingdom that Jesus was willing to give himself up for, to lay aside his perfect liberty to secure that kingdom so that you can be a part of it. Christ sacrificed his freedom so that he could make us free. He laid aside his liberty to liberate his people. And because he could do that, he then calls us, as we saw all the way back in Romans 12, to be living sacrifices to follow his example. And that's what not placing stumbling blocks is all about. Because Jesus sacrificed himself for us, we can, as his people, make sacrifices for the sake of each other so that the gospel be not hindered, so that the work of God might continue. So we can then enjoy our liberty and show love when we serve Christ. Paul says in verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. The liberty we enjoy because Christ has made us free and the love we're to show, especially toward those who are weaker in the faith, are not mutually exclusive. You can, if the need arises, lay aside your liberty in certain situations if love requires it of you for the building of Christ's kingdom. And you can enjoy 
the liberty that is yours in Christ, who has made you free. And it is through the exercise of both that love and that liberty that we serve Jesus Christ, our Master. We serve Him in two ways, Paul says here. One, by pursuing peace through loving sacrifice. You see that in verses 19 through 21. So let us pursue peace, or pursue that what makes for peace, by mutual upbuilding. The upbuilding of what? Of each other, of the kingdom, of the church. And so he says, do not, he repeats the command, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes a brother to stumble. So pursue peace when the need arises. And lay aside your liberty, but for a moment in this temporal life as you are pursuing the peace of Christ's kingdom. And in doing that, you are serving Christ. And we also serve Christ by practicing our liberty in faith. We see that in verses 22 and 23. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Notice that word blessed or happy as it means. Happy is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what God has approved. Because he knows, he knows that he in good conscience can enjoy God's good gifts in this world. In other words, if you understand that you are united to Jesus you have that freedom, so enjoy it. Enjoy God's provision. Do it joyfully. Not in the presence at times of those who are weaker in the faith, but do it regardless of their immature faith, albeit praying for them to come to a full understanding of the grace of the gospel. In other words, do it before God. Keep your faith that is in Christ, that in Christ all things are clean. Keep that between yourself and God. So again, we need discernment and wisdom, and we find it in the gospel. I'm going to close with this. It's just a little illustration and an application of how we can do this. See, ask yourself a simple question as you are thinking and trying to discern with the wisdom of heaven and ask the Lord to help you, can I enjoy my liberty or must I at this time refrain to show love? And the question is simply this, well, what I am about to do, with whom I am about to do it, hurt or herald the gospel of Christ? You see, make it about him. R.C. Sproul related an account in his life that illustrates this, I think, wonderfully. He told a story that once after a conference he had been speaking at, he was enjoying a meal at a restaurant with some of the attenders of that, that conference, some fellow believers, and the waitress approached and brought the wine list and asked if anyone would like to order off it. And immediately, one of the women at that table said, oh, no, 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 no. None of us drink because we are all Christians. 
Now, Sproul says that he didn't, but he almost did, and he probably should have. He didn't order a drink, but he believed he should have. And why? Because what did that waitress leave that table thinking Christianity was all about? Did she leave that table thinking it was all about the redeeming work of Christ who makes us free from the curse of the law and our sin? No, she left that table thinking that Christianity was about what you do and what you do not do. In other words, the gospel was at stake. And the words of that woman at the table proclaimed a graceless gospel, which is no gospel at all. So Sproul says, you know, I should have ordered something. It would have certainly offended the weaker sister sitting at that table. But sometimes the clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ is at stake. And exercising our liberty is the right thing to do. In fact, Paul did this, the Apostle Paul, to the Apostle Peter. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2 that in Antioch, he opposed Peter to his face. I would have loved to have seen that. <laughs> and he says, because Peter stood condemned. Well, what had Peter done? He explains, he says, well, Peter, who had come to understand the grace of the gospel, the liberty that is ours in Jesus, was actually eating meals with Gentiles. He is probably eating pork, which was forbidden by the ceremonial law. And then certain men came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and when Peter saw that, he got a little worried what they might think, and he stopped fellowshipping and eating with the Gentiles. And Paul said, Peter, what are you doing? You are free in Christ. And he called him out before the people. Why was that? Because the gospel was at stake. He did not want Peter muddling or confusing the gospel of grace about making it about meat and drink rather than the work of God in our hearts through Christ. And so Paul said, Peter, shame on you. And he did that in order to build up the faith of the Gentile believers in Antioch. And so the point is this, is that sometimes exercising your Christian liberty should be done even in the presence of weaker brethren because it does proclaim the grace of the gospel. But other times, exercising it will lay a stumbling block and it will hurt the cause of Christ and confuse your weaker brothers and sisters regarding the liberty of the gospel. And so show them love and refrain. Sacrifice your liberty for a moment. Let us use the freedom that is ours in Jesus to build up his kingdom through our liberty and our love. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let us pray.